Good afternoon, Sarah Hepla. Oh, good afternoon, Nancy Rommelman. Uh, do you notice I have a different background here? No. You don't? Okay, thanks. That shows you how much That's, I We're done. Yeah, we're done. Okay, nice to see you. Um, I'm coming to you today from Chatham, Massachusetts. It's very nice. Chatham, Massachusetts. No, very nautical. Everything's nautical. Like every place you walk, there's like an anchor and a sailboat. Um, but it's actually, it's very nice. Very nice right on the water. So, Do you notice that I have the same background? I do. I do. Your red closet. Yeah. Really? Are you ever going to ask about these clothes that I've got oh. hanging in the closet? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep going. Okay, um, we have some corrections to the record. We have made mistakes. Mistakes have been made, Sarah. Yeah, mostly by you. Um, so last podcast, we were having a very serious conversation about this subway situation uh, yeah. where uh, Jordan Neely was placed in a chokehold, eventually died. Uh, you, I believe, went from saying the guy who did that, at some point you said Daniel Perry. Yes, I And did. at one point you said Daniel Penny. That is correct. I'm here to tell you his name is Daniel Penny. I know that. I, I didn't. I, I Don't be defensive. I didn't read my own writing, which was not unusual. But I'm going to assuage your guilt over this because when I did a search to figure out which one was which, there are like all like Los Angeles Times, N- New York Times, Salon, um, Los a- like a bunch of different places that have swapped. Like they'll put Penny in the headline and then they'll put Perry in the body. Ooh, weird. Because yeah. I, I I think it's just Perry is the more common name, right? Right, and, and they so look alike, right? The R and the N, oh, like you, you they just, totally look alike. Yeah, I know this as a person with a lot of N's and R's in her name. It's just like one little toward, more little line there. So, so I just want you to right. feel better about that. I'm feeling better. The next one is really shared by both of us. So you referred to. Daniel Penny as a former Marine and as the daughter of a Marine, one of our <clears throat> listeners has to point out that according to Marine culture, there is no such thing as a former Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Semper fee. Semper fi. So, so I did read that too. And that is correct. And I did read in one headline today that they called him Marine veteran, Daniel Penny. So I that think- is an annoying workaround. I got to tell oh. you, I, I appreciate <clears throat> this sort of like, you're always part of the club, one of us situation going on here in the Marines, but they're hijacking just basic like forms of identification. Like he's not in it anymore. Oh, wait, wait, hijacking basic forms of identification? Who would do that, Sarah? <laughs> no, but yeah, okay, okay. I'm just saying maybe, maybe the Marines started it. All right, there we go. Well, we've got got something exciting going on, Nancy. Yes, we do. And I'm looking at it. (laughs) All the way from London, England, flying in on the Concorde. Um, So... So, Your references uh, be- is so out of date. Yeah. <laughs> the Concord? What? I read about, I saw it on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. 20 years ago. That's that's the last time I I spit shined my references. <sighs> Fine, we'll put it up. You can, le, don't get uppity, young man. <laughs> I shall 
introduce you like a proper lady. Nick Wallace, whose voice you just heard. Yeah. Don't give know. It up. Give One it up. person clapping sounds sarcastic. <laughs> That's the kind of reception we give you on Smoke Em If You Got Em. Hold on. I'll add something. Whoop. Um, Nick Wallace is a fancy pants British reporter who had decades of serious groundbreaking journalism under his belt when he wound up, mostly thanks to the pandemic, covering the UK libel trial of Johnny Depp. Afterward, he came to the U.S. to cover the second trial, where he did a regular podcast at Be Heard, and no less an authority than me, little Sarah Heppola, crowned him the best reporter on the Depp Heard trial. He's now written a book, Depp Be Heard, the unreal story which you can purchase on Amazon now. Nick Wallace, welcome to Smoke Em If You Got Em. Welcome. Thank you very much, Sarah Heppola and Nancy Rommelman. It's an honor, genuinely. Thank you. Here's the what book, did, by the way. Did, I know this is an audio podcast, but I'm still proud of it. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> an actual, real, again, live book. If you hold it up again, I'll take a screenshot one more time. <gasps> there we go. I got it. All right. Look at Ooh. you. Ooh. Nick, is this your first book? Uh, no, because I uh, was uh, covering the Great Post Office scandal, which is a little bit niche for an American audience. But, it's a little um, bit niche. Over 20 years, the post office in the UK prosecuted hundreds of its own sub-postmasters who are the people who run local post office branches uh, over errors in their accounts. But the errors in their accounts were phantom errors because they were generated by a faulty IT system installed by the post office. So it's become the widest miscarriage of justice in UK legal history. So Mm -hmm. I wrote a book about that a couple of years ago. So it's my second book. And that has nothing in common with Depp v. Heard. It's a very different audience. I did a live event about the post office scandal on Wednesday evening, and you tend to get retired professionals who are interested in things like corporate governance quivering with rage about the systemic failures <laughs> in the justice system that led to uh, the uh, post office scandal. And yet I think the Depp v. Heard has got a slightly different demographic in terms of who was taking an interest in that trial. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I guess before we get started talking about Depp v. Heard... Can we talk about maybe, how we met? Can we? The, I mean, the, the, it was one of the yeah, most significant moments. Yeah, because it's the most important, moments. Day, yes, it's the most important exactly. day of the trial for both of us, I think. Everything changed for me when I met you, <laughs> Sarah Hedler. Everything changed. I flew I mean, out... You, I yeah, flew out. Well, yeah, actually, yes, because I don't know the pro. Because I was so bewildered by what was going on, I just sort of took information at face value as it approached me, and and in a way, you were a data point that I sort of clung on to because you seemed quite sane, uh, which it, it, it is all relative. Alive, I suppose, when you're it's in, okay. <laughs> it's okay. But in the context of the circus, the the. the that we were in the middle of. Um, it was a joy to meet you, but I, you'll have to tell me the story again of how you came to be there. Oh, I would like a little credit for that, please. Oh, was it your idea? Well, okay. So I remember this. I was lying in bed and I was talking to Nancy Rommelman on the phone and I was like, God, I wish I could go cover this Depp Heard trial. Like nobody's, like there's not a lot of coverage on it. Like it's, it's really crazy. And she was like, go. And I was like, what do you mean just go? And she was like, just buy a ticket. Not that hard. And I was like, oh, shit. I literally <laughs> did I not think about that. 
Because I was so accustomed to coming from this 20th century, you know, early 21st century world of like, you have to get the assignment first. And it can be such a catch-22 when you're a freelance journalist, because you have to pitch the assignment before you know what it is. And especially if travel's involved, that's just a very hard pitch. I didn't think I was going to have any luck. And the places that I wrote for regularly were Texas publications that weren't going to be interested in it. So I just thought... I didn't know what to do. And she was like, just go. And I was like, wow, okay. Actually, and it was also your podcast because I was listening to the podcast and it was uh, the women that were showing up uh, in the queue. And they were like, we just hopped on a train. Or or, or, I'm sorry, on a plane. And I was like... Yeah, there was a lot of that, yeah. That's so wild. You know, people are just showing up. You have this sense because you're seeing it in the on the television and on the internet, and it sort of this has this feeling of faded, like all these people were sort of always gonna be there. You're not among them. Um, why would you be? And it was sort of astonishing to understand that by simply buying a ticket, I could insert myself into that drama. How would you describe Fairfax Town? Because don't I've I've only been to New York for three days before I went to I flew into Washington D.C. and started reporting out of Fairfax, Virginia, and I've now eaten more meals in the Fairfax County Court building canteen than any other place in America, which I'm, which is slightly traumatizing to think about. <laughs> uh, it's but, but it's same, where all so, our best meals come from. Yeah, like I Fairfax about canteen. Grits. And cheese with breakfast and things like that. It was good, you know. It was a, it was a lovely experience, but I'm sure it's not representative of wider America. And and it was it was weird being in that strange crucible in a, what struck me as quite a sleepy little yeah. town, which has a bit of civil war history about it. And that's right. There wasn't much else going on there. It's a pretty affluent town. Um, you know, it's. One of the D.C. suburbs, I think that it's got a heavy military family presence, but now I'm working off memory. Um, I didn't know anything about it. I thought it was pretty charming. Um, I remember walking in and talking to a book owner, like a bookstore owner. We talked for like 30 minutes. It was very Christian, too. Like, I remember in that bookstore, they were all like, I was trying to buy a journal, and all the journals were like, you know, footprints in the sand on the front or like Jesus walk with me. And like, so I had to buy the like least obtrusive and I still carry it. And like every once in a while it's sitting around and I'm like, I don't, it's, I I just haven't gone through it yet. But anyway, um, she was talking about how strange it was because it was a very sleepy little town and she had just had a, some sort of cable news camera crew, probably the law and order channel come in and film her for like two hours, you know, just, and it was, she was trying to go home. Like, she was done with work, and they were like, oh, we'll just film you for a minute. And then you know how it goes with cameras. It takes two hours. Yeah, you know, and, and so it's just, like, so disruptive. And she's like, can I go home now? You know, and she's like, I don't even know anything about this trial. I mean, <laughs> the really interesting thing to me was landing in D.C. and driving to Fairfax. And then, like, the guy, I was checking in at the hotel, and uh, the woman was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm here for the Depp Heard trial. And she was like, that's here? And I was like, yeah, it's like a mile away. And she was like, no way. Johnny Depp is in my town. Like the people of Fairfax didn't know that colossal media event was happening in their town. That was really fascinating to me. 
Well, when the trial started, there was no coverage at all. I mean, yes, it was being streamed on Court TV and the Law and Crime Network, and it was being rebroadcast on various YouTube channels. But locally, I mean, it's like with any trial, you don't know it's going to happen till it happens. And I mean, I crowdfunded my way over there, and there was the, this sort of fear that I had that they would settle on the court steps while my plane was in the air. And then I'd be, then, <laughs> right. then, then, then what, right. you know, arrive, arrive in Fairfax and go, hey, everyone, I'm here for the trial. You know, you got to get to that cantina, try some cheese with your breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Got blondies <laughs> as well. I have never heard of blondie before. And a blondie not, is a, is a, much. is a kind of brownie. Without it's a kind chocolate. of, it's Without a reverse that. brownie and a, and a half and half. <laughs> reverse brownie. <laughs> is half and half a thing anywhere else in America? Half cream, half milk sure. or something. It's a big yeah. thing. Oh, oh, everywhere. That's evil stuff. Why? Well, they, they ended up opening a little carton of milk for me, which they put in the fridge, um, which I could have with, with my coffee because I couldn't bear to put the half and half in my coffee. Oh. But, but, but Devonshire cream is delicious and thick, and half and half is not that thick. Is that the problem? No, I think you have to go all or nothing. You either have cream okay. in your coffee French style or you go milk. You, the half and half. That was the issue. Well, there you were in America, home of half and half and blondies. It's, and and fair, the Fairfax Cantina, as everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you started doing a podcast. And when I was becoming interested in this case, because it seemed like it had sort of culture war pivot potential, me too pivot potential that that's kind of what brought my attention to it um i started looking you know for stuff online you know who's writing about this and honestly nobody was writing very well about it but i found yeah and and you can correct me because you you would know people probably better than me but like i found your podcast and i started listening to it i mean you were doing that almost near that was nearly every day wasn't it Every day, yeah. I mean, there was, I was doing, it was basically a YouTube, oh God, it, it, honestly, it's traumatizing thinking about it. It's, it, right. it was, I came, I came over on a promise um, with the people who had started following me when I covered the UK trial. And I had a constituency, because when I was covering the UK trial, I was, no American journalists were allowed into the UK, because it was during the pandemic. Right. So I was tweeting what was happening in court. There were no cameras. And essentially, the information that I was providing, the blow-by-blow -blow account on Twitter, was feeding a live audience uh, or an, uh, you know, a rapacious audience around the world who were Very just bored, desperate I'm sure. for information of what was coming out. Yeah, I mean, it was just, they just wanted to know what was happening in this trial, which they'd, they'd been building up to because of this online... Uh, gathering of the tribes that had happened behind Amber Heard and particularly Johnny Depp. And so my tweet impressions at one stage were getting 10 million page impressions a day, which, um, which made me realize that or A, how big a star Johnny Depp still is, and also how much appetite there was for information about the trial. And, and so I developed a, a relationship with enough people on Twitter to say that when this trial came around, look, would you crowdfund my flight to get me over to, to the US? And so... The deal was if I got there and the trial was going ahead, then I'd do a daily newsletter just to sort of a court report essentially at the end of the day. But I just thought, well, hang on a minute. What's the point in just writing a newsletter while I'm out here? I might as well start doing some on-screen stuff and doing some audio stuff. So I cut a deal with my friend who runs a production company back in the UK that I would do a YouTube video 
strip out the audio, send in the audio overnight. He would then repurpose it to make it more audio friendly, uh, possibly send me some script lines for me to record before breakfast the next day. And then we'd be able to do that daily podcast, which is what you were listening to. What a grind, though. Oh, my God. And then how long did it go on for? So the trial was six weeks long. And it started Monday to Thursday, but by the final two weeks, the judge announced that she was going to run it Monday to Friday because she was very, very keen to get it finished on time. And by they were the doing like nine it, hours too, right? They were doing a full day by the end of it. So court was starting, it initially started at 10 and finished at five, and then it was going from nine to 5.30 at some, at some stage. So it was just pro, I mean, you know what it's like when you're covering a court case, the sheer volume of information coming out of court, there's a, there's a, you have to, you have to, as a journalist, try and sort of pick the most significant things that have happened during yes. the course of that day, write them up very, very quickly. And you don't really get much opportunity to think deeply about what you're actually yes. turning around. Uh, and that that's what comes later. That's when I think the big think pieces come later. So I think, I don't know what it was like to experience it from any distance, but when you're in the thick of it, you're just churning that information uh, into into something that's consumable for people who haven't been sitting there watching it all day. But you have to sit there and watch it all day in order to process it and turn it in into a bite-sized report. So the, I think the big... Go on. Well, Go on. I was going to say, but one of the things... I, I wanted to make clear to people that might not be familiar with your podcast that one of the things about it was not only were you reporting on the court goings-on, but you were bringing in a lot of ancillary characters. You know, there were there had become this sideshow, which was all the mostly Depp fans. I mean, I think you tried to get some herd reporter uh, supporters in there, but it was you, you, like you were like actively searching for them. Um, yes. And lawyer, there were a few attorneys who who worked in the court yep. building who just happened to take an interest in the trial, weren't too busy, and they'd come and provide some legal analysis. But I mean, that wasn't really the idea i wasn't looking to sort of try and compete with law tube and all the legal analysts who were watching uh, and live commenting on the trial as it went out it was just to get it's just a bit of color really and to and to find it spend spend the time having that opportunity to speak to real live americans and find out why they were there yeah and i think one of the things that struck me about it was that for such a frivolous trial or at least a seemingly frivolous trial i was struck by the profundity of some of the stories that you're hearing from people that had come for instance you know people would talk about their own history of abuse they would talk about their own trauma things that had drawn them there uh, you know there were you know this trial was at a knee jerk a complete waste of time and a frivolous exercise in celebrity navel-gazing. And yet, when you spent time with the people that were spending time with the trial, you saw that it was actually quite meaningful to them. Yeah, the particular issues that were raised were the idea of false accusations. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things that was brought up actually in court was uh, this idea that Amber Heard was... Um, suffering from borderline personality disorder, which manifested itself in a variety of ways, one of which was a propensity for violence and uh, the need to belittle people and to act violently and be full of rage because of abandonment issues, etc., etc. And quite how or why it ended up like this, but many people I spoke to felt that through the amount of evidence that had reached the public domain even before the trial started, and certainly once the trial was going out, 
demonstrated to them, touched them in some visceral way, and connected with their own experiences of either seeing men in their family uh, be abused and not be able to uh, deal with it, or see female abusers in their family and recognize that in Amber Heard. Or you had many victims of domestic abuse, domestic violence, uh, female victims, who some of whom had photos of their injuries, which they they showed me and, and spoke very movingly about it and were advocates for domestic violence, who were absolutely certain, absolutely certain that Amber Heard was the violent abuser and, and Johnny Depp was uh, a victim in, in all of this. Yes, you did have some Amber Heard fans who who would take, I don't know, perhaps a, a less emotional and um, visceral response, more of an intellectual response, saying, look, look at what the patterns are, look at his mm-hmm. behaviour, look at what this says uh, about who he is and the way he behaves. He was very clearly jealous. He came from an abusive background. He would destroy inanimate objects. He was mm-hmm. accused of being highly controlling. There were a lot of abuser red flags going off in in his behaviour. But as Ben Chu, the lawyer for uh, Depp, said right at the very end and is summing up, you know, this is me too without anyone else? Where are the other women coming forward? Every single other person who has been in a relationship with Johnny Depp has said that he was the perfect gentleman and, and couldn't hurt a fly. So, so this was... The Hello, story. Smoke and We've Got em listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Heppler. Sarah Heppler, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little... Uh, interim moment for you. Um, We're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.